गुरुर् ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णु गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात्ब्रह्मा तस्म श्री गुरव नम आई बाउ टू दैट इन्फिनिट गुरु इन ऑल फॉर्म्स इंक्लूडिंग योर फॉर्म्स बिकॉज दैट इन्फिनिट वन ऑल प्लेइंग एट बींग अ मैन और अ वुमन playing at being a certain age playing at having a certain role in life it's all a play who you really are is the infinite brahman you are that supreme spirit dwelling momentarily in this little human form i would like to read to you from the book conversations with yogananda an exhortation the master gave on the importance of putting out a real effort spiritually mind you there's a certain dichotomy here because on the one hand there is nothing easier in the world <clears throat> than finding god but <laughs> the answer to that is that there's nothing any easy in the world that even works for you except finding god you can work like crazy to achieve success and happiness and power and all sorts of things but you won't find them at the end of that thing so can you call that easy when at the end there's nothing this is one of the supreme ironies of life that no matter how hard you work it all has to add up to zero all those lifetimes that you've worked at achieving this goal that ambition this hope everything you find it's either plus or minus like the waves on the sea the waves can be very high but that doesn't change the level of the sea because for every high wave there has to be a corresponding trough the level of the sea remains unchanged god the spirit never changes and so all duality has to end up as nothing as i say working all those incarnations to achieve all those goals and the end product of it is that it has to be zero isn't it ironic to think that you work so hard for so long for nothing and that's literally what it is so when we say <coughs> that it's easy to find god we mean relatively speaking it's not easy it's a big job and if you want to do something successfully in this world even knowing that that success will not last still it needs needs a lot of work the work however in finding god is like the work that you put forth in stopping a swing you see in this world of duality the swing keeps going like this and if you want to stop the swing when it's going this way you have to push on the the uh, rope holding the swing to sort of stop it and then when it comes back you pull uh, just to gradually up in opposition to that movement bring it back to the zero point so in a way the work involved in finding god is the work one has to put out to stop working to stop the restless mind from jumping up and down from stop the, to stop the tendency that we have to um do this and do that go here and go there 
And uh, that does take work. Yogananda, one time talking about this, this part of it, this is in saying 229 of Conversations with Yogananda. If a man wants to be a concert pianist, the master told us, he must practice playing for 12 hours a day. One who pecks half-heartedly at the keyboard a few minutes at a time, then gets up and eats something, will never become a true, mus true musician. That isn't the way to find God. You can't expect to find him by only half trying. Ram Gopal, the sleepless saint in autobiography of a yogi, meditated 18 hours a day for 20 years, then 20 hours a day for another 22 years. And even he said, I don't know if I have yet found favor in God's eyes. It is very hard to find God. Those who make the effort, however, will find him. And out of the small minority who seek him that way, we are blessed with quite a few here. Just look at St. Lin. The master went on to praise him, speaking of how the disciple would spend hours at a time in samadhi on the lawn at the Encinitas Hermitage. I remember at my first Kriya initiation at Mount Washington, this was in 1949. He said, of those present, there will be a few siddhas. Great saints like Bhaduri Mahashai, the levitating saint, and Master Mahashai, for whom Guruji had great love. They were Jivan Muktas. So a Jivan Mukta is somebody who is freed completely from any new karma because he's overcome the ego. He's merged the ego into the infinite. But there is also um, past karma to be worked out. And uh, well, I asked Master at length on this subject. I said, well, uh, what brings them back? He said, they, they sometimes, they don't care at that point because they know that they're out of delusion. They see it all as a dream. Whether they remain dreaming or not, they're not touched by it. They're free. But Ajivan Mukta, in coming back, he may use his karma just as an excuse to come back and help others. But a siddha means a perfected being, which he has, means he has no karma at all. So when Master said at that meditation that there will be a few siddhas, that's quite a promise. But he said that Sister Ganamata, for example, he, she would be completely, she was completely freed. Raja, she was completely freed. One thing that puzzled me is he said, as I recall, but I could be wrong, not just of the disciples, but of those present. So it makes you wonder. Nonetheless, the point that he wanted to make was that to reach that, you have to really dedicate all your energy to it. You have to reach the point where you know there's nothing else you want in life. And the difficulty of it is basically stopping the swing from going on swinging. It's that simple. But how difficult. When people say, but it's difficult, well, it's for their sake and for the sake of others like that. We don't want to frighten you from the path. And yet I do want you to know that there isn't any other path. I do want you to know that nothing else is going to work for you. 
sooner or later you're going to have to come around to knowing who you are. Sooner or later you're going to have to come back to the simple, tr simple realization that your own essence is God himself. And so all your desires, yes, it's not easy to overcome all those things, but in the end, the dice are loaded. You don't have a choice. You have no chance of finding anything that you want except in yourself. So why waste those times, all that time? You know, Master wrote in his interpretation of the Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, which I, I actually edited his book and put it, published it in a book called the uh, Rubaiyat of Omar Khayyam, explained by Paramahansa Yogananda. And in his explanations, the, uh, he explains a rather abstruse saying or quatrain of uh, Omar Khayyam's, which when you read the explanation, you understand. But he's basically saying this, as I've said before on this program, many souls that that came into Maya, into manifestation, at the beginning of the day of Brahma, are still wandering in delusion at the end of that day of Brahma. And it makes you wonder that how many days of Brahma even do people have to wander? It's so easy to get caught. And you think that, well, I didn't get quite together this way, but if I try it that way, maybe I'll have what I want. It's sort of like washing a shirt and trying to get all the cloth underwater when there's a bubble there. And so you push the shirt down here and the bubble pushes the shirt up somewhere else. Everything that you try to do, you take energy away from something else and that comes up. Delusion is such a tricky animal. The only way, you know, many of the old myths, for instance, of Greece, there's a lot of spiritual depth in them, like the Hydra monster. A Hydra monster is Maya itself. You get rid of one thing, cut off one head, it springs back. Hercules discovered that the only solution was to cut all of them at once and cauterize the wounds. This is what you have to do with the spiritual teaching. It won't do to do a halfway measure. Even one little thing there will be able to fester and build and finally become a full-blown involvement in Maya again. Once you are out of the ego, however, once you know that you are not responsible, that is to say, you are not the doer, then you suddenly realize that uh, nothing can ever touch you because you're free. My guru said to me once, remember, you won't be free until you've attained nirbhikalpa samadhi. It's possible to be in samadhi even. You know, Paul Brunton, who became a disciple of Rana Maharshi, who was a great soul. He wrote a secret search in, uh, a search in secret India. And it's a great book. He himself tends not to emphasize what he had, but he was himself saintly. And he achieved Sabhikalpa Samadhi. But even he fell. Why, I asked my guru. He, my guru said, because he couldn't forget he was English. In other words, it really bothered him that Ramana Maharshi's brother was not his guru would order him around. And uh, anyway, he remained a great soul, 
but he didn't find what he was looking for. He lost that. We have to reach the point beyond Savikalpa Samadhi, which is immersion in the infinite for a time, but there's still that little presence of ego there that sort of recalls, sort of like I, Paul Brunton, let's say, the infinite but nevertheless real Paul Brunton. You see, that, that little lingering thought, like a germ, has to be eradicated completely. You know, when you try to weed a garden, it's so difficult. One little weed you may miss, and before you know it, it's taken over again. Like clearing a, a lawn of crabgrass. You just, it just, the roots are very deep. But the point is that uh, when you can really meditate deeply and know that God is acting through you, know that you don't have any reality except his, this is a thought that the ego finds terrible to accept. Because it means, seems like it means, the death of the ego. But the trick is that it's not death of anything. You don't really lose anything when you find God. You find everything, even, and this is the amazing thing, you don't even lose your ego. Because what is your ego? Well, if you define it in the proper terms, it's this body, the soul identified with the body. But your sense of self is deeper than that identification. You lose the identification with a body. You lose the identification with a personality that says, I'm an artist, or I'm a businessman, or I'm this, or I'm that. And some people, Master said, they are sort of like psychological antiques. I remember an old man, he was about 75 years old. He was sort of a psychological antique, a wonderful man, actually. Still, I remember him once saying to me, I'll try anything once. I sort of teasingly said, you mean jumping off a bridge, taking poison? I mentioned a couple of things like that, shooting yourself. I don't suppose you even heard me. Because he said, yep, I'll try anything once. Well, what can you do with people like that? They don't listen because they're so completely set in their own ways that they're declaring to the world who and what they are. And don't, there's no, you can't even converse with people like that. Most people are old after 40. Many people are old after 20. Many people never get out of their psychological antiquity, if you want a new word. Don't look it up. You won't find it. The thing is that uh, <coughs> we need to have our minds fresh. We need to look at things in new ways. We need, I'm not a young man by any means now, but I feel young because my mind is young. I'm willing to look at other people's points of view. I'm willing to change my mind in our communities many times. Well, sometimes. I've had an idea, and other people come up with a better idea, and I recognize it. And I say, okay, we'll do that. Sometimes I don't see that it's a better idea, but even so I go along with them, because I'm trying to develop leadership in them. I'm trying to help them to develop creativity. And so it's good sometimes to give up, not for uh, any reason except to help other people. But the thing is, our minds have to be flexible. It's like going down a slope when you're skiing. You can't stand at the top of the slope and say, well, at this point I'm going to turn left, at that point I'm going to turn right. It's when you get there that you see this little mogul, as they call it, a little hillock, and that's when you have to decide whether you'll turn left or right to go around it. 
Now, if you've already made up your mind that that's where you want to turn left, but the slope means uh, that you have to really go right, you're like you're going to fall because you're already committed to turning in the wrong direction. Be centered in yourself. That's the first trick. Once you have that inner center, you will see that you can turn left or right or go straight. At a moment's notice, it won't matter. This, however, means hard practice. And that hard practice is just getting back to who you are. Don't lose your balance in the sense of committing yourself too much to any outward direction or desire or hope. Remember, the hopes you have are ultimately God himself. We were born to know God. Like a beautiful poem of my gurus, it's called, it's in the book Whispers from Eternity. I was made for thee alone. I was, I was made for dropping flowers of devotion at thy feet on the altar of the dawn. I don't have the words clearly in my mind, but I remember back when I began the spiritual path, how I worked at memorizing that. I, med I recited it every day in meditation. Read it. Learn it. It's so beautiful, and it's a constant reminder of why God put you here, what life is really all about. Once you know that, it's not hard at all. You just have to have your priorities straight. God bless you. When human hopes toward thee.